As we are ending the book of Exodus in chapter 35 through 40, what we're going to see is uh, we're going to see the actual construction of the tabernacle being done. As you recall that Moses, as he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, um, and they would come to the mountain of God. There in chapter 19, the Lord said, tell the people that prepare themselves because they're going to meet with me. And so the Lord showed himself in a very mighty way as we saw, uh, as the mountain was on fire, it was smoke that was coming from the mountain. Uh, there was thunders and lightnings. It was probably a very divine thunder and lightning, not like what probably we're used to here in Colorado, but it was something that, that made the people tremble. Uh, the voice of a trumpet, the voice of God being heard. And it was the people that said to Moses, you go up on the mountain and, and we will do what the Lord says. So Moses would go up on the mountain. And of course, chapter 20, we see the law uh, being given to the children of Israel, God's covenant being given to them. And so we saw those chapters in the law given up to chapter 24. And then in chapter 25, what we saw is Moses is there on the mountain. And the Lord comes to Moses and says, Moses, I want to meet with my people. So you're going to construct a tabernacle. And so in those chapters, of course, in chapter 25 through chapter 31, we saw all the details given concerning the tabernacle. We saw how the tabernacle was to be built, the tabernacle structure itself, the framing, all the furnishings of the tabernacle, the priestly garments that were to be made. And we saw that the phrase that we used, was used over and over again was build it according to the pattern that I'm showing to you, Moses. We saw the instructions given to Moses concerning the priests, they would be consecrated or that is set aside for the purpose of ministry. And then we saw in chapter 32 that it would be the children of Israel as they're down below Moses up on the mountain for 40 days, as we know from chapter 24, that, that the people down below became impatient. They said, we don't know what has become of this man, Moses. And so they built the golden calf, began to commit idolatry and all kinds of fornication as they rose up to plays, what the scripture says. And so Moses came down with those two tablets of stones with the law of God, and he broke them before the people. And it symbolized that they had broken the covenant uh, that they had made with God. And so they had said, we will do what, what God tells us to do. They had already broken it before Moses could even come down with the tablets uh, with God's law written with the finger of God on those stones. And so we saw that God, uh, in his anger, uh, was going to consume the children of Israel. But we saw that Moses, in those chapters, began to intercede on behalf of the people. He began to plead on behalf of God's character and nature and heart in his promises. And we talked about that quite extensively because I think it's important for us to note that, that when Moses interceded and began to say, Lord, don't consume the people. Remember your promise that you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that you would make them a great nation. Remember that you promised that you would bring them into this land, that you would give them this land. That Moses was touching the heart of God and, and, and he, he was knowing the heart of God uh, as he began to know the Lord, his grace and his compassion and mercy. And so that's what uh, Moses was uh, coming to God on those bases in his promises, knowing that God was going to fulfill his promise. So God relented from his anger and, and told Moses, you know, go ahead, 
Take the children of Israel into the promised land, but my presence will not be with you, as we saw last week. And Moses would set up his tabernacle meeting outside the camp and meet with God, and God talked to him as a man talks to a friend face to face. And we, we saw that it, it speaks of intimacy and closeness. And, and Moses poured out his heart again to the Lord. Lord, if we have found grace in your sight, please, your presence go with us. And if your presence isn't going to go with us into the promised land, then we don't want to go, or I don't want to go. And, and, and I think it, there's such an important lesson in that, that, Lord, I want to be where your presence is. I want to be where you are. And so the Lord, again, saying that you have found grace in my sight and my presence will go with you. And he declared his name, that I am the Lord, the Lord, that is merciful and, and, and gracious and, uh, and uh, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and in truth and forgiving sin, iniquity, and transgression. And so that's where we've been. As we move into chapter 35 here, to the end of the book, what we're going to see now is that the children of Israel are going to actually build the tabernacle. So what we're going to read here in these chapters are almost like a repeat of what we saw in chapters 25 through 31. Now before you start thinking, oh, I should have stayed home tonight and watched TV, why do we have to go through this again? I think if there's anything, a couple reasons that I hope that you get why we're looking at this. Number one is, I find it very fascinating that God spends so much time in giving details concerning the tabernacle. And the reason for the tabernacle, again, is the Lord said that I might meet with my people. It wasn't that Moses came to God and said, you know what, I come up with a good idea. I think what we should do is come up with some system where we can meet with you and um, somehow that there can be a provision for sin and uh, fellowship with you. And so I think we should have these offerings and this tabernacle and the priests. He didn't come up with that. God's the one that initiated it, wasn't it? The Lord said, you know what, Moses, here's a pattern of the tabernacle, and, and so I can meet with my people. So he made a provision to where there would be the sacrifices for the covering. We'll talk about this more in a couple weeks, more specifically when we see to make atonement, what exactly does that mean in the Old Testament? A covering, kofar, is the Hebrew word, that it would cover sin until the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would come and die for our sins once and for all. And so he, here is provision vision, the sin offerings, here's the peace offering, which was a fellowship offering, here's, you know, these, these other means of, 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 of God, uh, of, of the people there being close to their God, being able to, to have a, that symbolism and those acts of fellowship with God, and so God's the one that initiated it, and they're responding to it, and, and so here's the pattern, here's all the details that we talked about in the building of the tabernacle, and what I find interesting, that when you read Genesis chapter 1, when you see that God created the, the earth, the heavens and the earth, and began to create the animals and all that, he doesn't go into real specific detail, does he? Matter of fact, when we look at the stars, and we, we look at the stars, and of course, as David said, the, the stars and the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans chapter 1 declares that the creation around us testifies to us that there is a creator. But in chapter 1 of Genesis, as the Lord begins to talk about how he created the, 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 the larger uh, light to rule by day, the sun, and the smaller the light to rule by night, the moon, and then he created the stars also. Just a few words, one sentence. He created the stars also. He doesn't give details. 
Yet man spends billions and billions of dollars, you know, studying the stars and sending satellites and telescopes, and we look at the pictures, and it is amazing, and it's fascinating to see the stars and how awesome it is, and it makes us realize how we do worship an awesome God and a big God who's a wonderful creator who created this wonderful world, who created you and I. But he goes into very little details how, you know, he did that. And so man spending all this money and this new, you know, super con conductor thing that they have under France or in Europe that they spent billions of dollars to try to recreate the Big Bang Theory. All they had to do is read their, their Bible, Genesis chapter 1. But the thing is, then God goes into detail concerning the tabernacle and how they could meet with him. He goes into details concerning how we can worship and serve and obey a holy God. He goes into detail in his word about how much he loves us. And we see the Gospels as we're in Matthew on Sunday morning. All those stories. We saw the feeding of the 5,000 last Sunday. That's recorded in all four Gospels. And God repeats it four times because he says this is important. Because it shows how much I love you and care about you. And I want to feed you with the bread of life. And so that amazes me that, that God goes into details. It's like he's saying, this is important. The important stuff is my relationship with you. I, I won't go into details about the heavens, the stars. I created them. They'll declare my glory, yes. It's fascinating to look at that. And this summer, uh, you know, as we were out camping, the kids and I, on the backside of Rocky Mountain National Park, we could see the Milky Way galaxy, and it's like, wow. And, and any of us that do that, you know, at night and get away from city lights, it is amazing. But what God, it seems like is important to him is the crowning jewel of his creation, which is you and me and our relationship with him. So if anything, it, it, it tells us how important it is to the Lord, how I can meet with you and how he was going to meet with his people. But also in these chapters here, in chapter 35 through 40, it shows that the children of Israel were being obedient to the Lord and how important that was. And so he records it once again. It wasn't that Moses came down from the mountain and he began to talk to the guys that are going to help him build the tabernacle. And they began to look at it and they said, you know what, what we need to do is kind of change some things. Maybe we ought to make the, the Holy of Holies a little bigger and omit this and change, you know, the garments a little bit. I don't like the color of blue. And, you know, we, we like maybe change it to a, a, a red color or something like that. They didn't do that. They were obedient. So as we go through this, we're going to see they actually build it according to the pattern that was shown to Moses. And I think that's important because there's a pattern that the Lord has for you and for me in how we are to approach him and come to him, how we are to live our lives, how to, we are to worship him. But what has happened over time, and especially in the church today, is the church comes along and says, well, let's change things. Let's change the pattern here that has been given to us. And, and, and let's say that this isn't sin. We'll, we'll call it acceptable, and it's okay. And, and so we see that in the church. There are more and more that, that are saying that we need to change the Bible, or the Bible really doesn't say this, or the Bible doesn't really mean it, or excuse it, or apologize for it, whatever it is. They didn't do that. They came down, and we're going to read, yep, we've read that. That's exactly what Moses was shown, and that's exactly what they did. And I think it's important for you and I to realize that as we look at the pattern that God has for us in worshiping him and serving him and, and, and walking with him and loving him and his provision for us, 
that we see that pattern, we believe God's word, and we follow after it, and then we proclaim that to others as well. So chapter 35, Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death, and you shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. So again, the Sabbath regulation that is given to the children of of Israel. Remember, they came out of Egypt. During that time of Egypt, there is no evidence at all. All the way through Genesis, all the way up until the time that they came to the mountain of God to receive the law of God, did they ever observe the Sabbath? Now God has come along and said, as we saw in chapter 30, that this is a covenant that I am making with the children of Israel. You shall observe it as a perpetual covenant that is from generation to generation from generation. So the Jews today still observe the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath is to be observed. But remember this, that it's a covenant between the Lord and the children of Israel. And it's amazing to me in the church how much this comes up about the Sabbath. Do Christians keep the Sabbath? The church is not told to keep the Sabbath. Now, it may be an important principle that you want to keep. It's not a bad principle because remember that as we saw in Matthew there, that Matthew, as the Pharisees came against Jesus and, and his disciples because they thought that they had broken the Sabbath law by picking grain there in the fields. You know, you can't do that. It's unlawful because you pick the grain, that's harvesting. That's work. You can't do that. You rub the grain in your hand, that's, that's threshing the wheat. You, you can't do that. That's work. Blow the chaff and eat the grain, that's winnowing. You can't do that. It's unlawful. And so Jesus rebuked those Pharisees. And, and he said, have you not read? And, and again, not to go all into it, but you recall that the Lord said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And remember that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath wasn't so that you can come up with all these rules and regulations and, and, and be a burden to the people. And that's what you've made it. You've made it a burden to the people. And there are those that will come along even today. I heard somebody on the radio talking to Pastor Gino about this. That somebody put in this burden that they have to keep the Sabbath and, and all of this if they're really a Christian and all this. And the New Testament comes along. It does not say that the church that we keep the Sabbath. Now, again, the Sabbath was made for man. It's beneficial and it's a blessing when we take time to rest, when we take a day to slow down and rest in the Lord. And I think that does get lost in the church a lot of times. Don't th Those of us who are a little bit older, do you remember? Remember how it was 30, 40 years ago? Everything shut down on Sunday, wasn't it? Stores shut down. There was no, nothing really going on. Now everything's open. There's so many events going on. There's, there's so many. You can run a race every weekend, you know, for this and that. And I'm not against that. Don't misunderstand me. There's sports events. You know, they have events for, for kids and our youth to be, you know, playing ball games and things like that. That's just the way our society is. And so there's a lot of things that can take us away from, you know, Know, really having a day where we slow down we get busy with our business we get busy with work we we get busy with all kinds of things and so the sabbath was made for man that is it's beneficial for us to slow down take a day and say we're going to make it a priority where we're going to rest and relax in the lord and so the principle of the sabbath is not a bad thing at all but to to to, to say that we're under the sabbath laws the church nowhere in the new testament does it say that matter of fact it says the opposite 
as Paul would say, let no one judge you concerning Sabbaths, that the Sabbaths and foods and, and festivals and all of this, it said all of that is just was a, a, a shadow of things to come, the substance being or the reality being Christ. That is, Christ is the fulfillment of Sabbath. He's our rest as we trust in him, as we believe in him. And in Acts chapter 15, they settled the situation. Because it was the apostles and the leaders that the question is, what do we do with the Gentile believers? Do we tell them they have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses? And they wrote a letter to them and said that we believe and we come to the conclusion with one accord, one spirit, and agree with the Holy Spirit that we are not going to put such burdens on you. This is what we ask you. Abstain from meat that is offered to, to idols and, um, and sexual immorality, and meat strangled in blood. And so these things that they put on, if the Sabbath was to be given, they would have mentioned it. So again, I mentioned that because it seems like it comes up a lot. And, and there are those who have strong convictions about keeping the Sabbath. God bless you. But it's not the law given to the church. It was a law covenant between the children of Israel, a perpetual covenant that you shall observe, day after day and the thing to remember too because as we go through the law and i want to remind you of this once in a while we're not studying the law so we can put ourselves back under the law and there are those who will study the law and all of a sudden they're keeping the dietary laws and having to keep the sabbath and nowhere again paul writes about that you being a gentile don't have to become a jew to become a christian that's what was happening what was happening in Acts chapter 15, there was a danger that Christianity was just going to be another sect of Judaism. Paul comes along and he fought for that, that there is neither Jew or Gentile anymore. It is all one now called the church. We are one in Christ. And so here we see the Sabbath law that is given. Again, once again, they were to rest. There's a lot of work that needs to be done, guys. A lot of work that needs to be done in building of the tabernacle. So don't forget to take that day of rest. And I think it's a good thing for you and I to ponder that we take time to rest. You know, Paul would write in Romans chapter 14, one man esteems one day above another, and some people do. They say, you know what, Saturday's our Sabbath, or Sunday's our Sabbath, or Wednesday's our Sabbath. Me, I work on Sunday. Friday's my day off, where we try to, to take a day off and rest in the Lord and, and, and reflect on the Lord. But one man esteems one day above another. One man esteems every day like you'd be convinced in your own mind. So every day can be a day to be enjoyed and, and a time to be refreshed in the Lord. And again, we talked a little bit about that on Sunday, you know, when, when Jesus said, let's go away to a quiet place and, and get away. You know, this afternoon I had to pick up the boys right after lunch and, and do some things with the boys. And I actually took them home about 2 o'clock. And, and I thought, if I go back to church, because normally I'm here all day on Wednesday. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to stay home. It was a beautiful day, wasn't it? And I'm sure some of you guys felt that way, didn't you? You wish you could play hooky. Well, I admit, I played a little bit of hooky this afternoon. But it was a wonderful time just to sit in the backyard and just do some praying and reflect on the Lord. And it's good to do that. And it's good to take a day to do that. Well, going on, we see Moses spoke to the congregation. Oh, verse 3, backing up. Sometimes you'll hear there's no transportation. You kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Um, they didn't cook on the Sabbath day. They didn't make a fire. And some Orthodox Jews, when you go to Israel, they will not drive. Some public transportation closes down because 
you get in a dwelling in a car and then the car engine comes on and it burns and kindles a fire to, to burn that gasoline. And so many feel very strong about that. So I just throw that in as a side note, verse four. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, scarlet, thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, and ram skin, and dyed red, badger skin, and acacia wood. Oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and sweet incense. Onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod, and in the breastplate. So I put this little um, illustration up for you again. You can come up as we go through these things, and look at it, and look at it more carefully, and stuff, and, and we'll be finished with it when we finish with Exodus. But here to offering, Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and he said, this is an offering that is to be uh, given for the tabernacle. All these things that we saw that are going to be used in the construction of the tabernacle. But notice here the emphasis in their giving, that it was to be, they were to be ones, that is, that are given willingly, as it says, and freely. And that's an important principle in our giving, isn't it? When you give, whether it's of your finances, whether it's of your time, of your service, you're to do it freely, you're to do it willingly. And, and that's important because God gave his son to us freely and willingly, didn't he? Jesus came freely and willingly. He didn't come because he was forced to come. And, and God didn't, you know, he, God so loved the world because and for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him should never perish but have everlasting life. And so the father gave the son willingly and freely to us. And Jesus freely and willingly went to the cross of Calvary. He gave his life because of his love for you and for me. So his love motivated him to go to Calvary's cross. He demonstrated and proved his love that he died for us while we were yet sinners. But also that as we give, I pray that we would never give grudgingly. Or because we, out of, you know, because we feel we have to. But we would do it because of a, a willing heart and a free heart and a loving heart to the Lord. A cheerful heart, as Paul would write to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians. That's the way we're to give, of our service and of our finances to the Lord. And that's what I hope that we do. That if we can't give in that way, then we need to go back to the Lord and allow him to minister to us. And then when we can give that way, then it honors the Lord. In verse 10, all who are gifted artisans, among who shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle is ten, its coverings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets, the ark and its poles with its mercy seat and the veil of the covering, the table and its poles and all its utensils and the showbread, also the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamp and oil for the light, the incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, and the screen for the door at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles, all its utensils, and labor in its base. The hanging of the courts, its pillars, their sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court and their courts, the garments of ministry for the ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments his sons, and to minister as priests. And so here um, we see that um, 
in these verses, the coordinating of the labor, the construction of the tabernacle. It's the gifted artisans that uh, they are gifted of God as they're going to put all these things together that we studied. And then verse 20, and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service and for the holy garments. Verse 22, they came both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings and rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering gold to the Lord. And every man with whom was found purple, blue, purple, scarlet, thread, fine linen and goat's hair, red skin uh, of rams and badger skins brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering. And everyone with whom was found a wood for any work of the service brought it. All the men who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarns of goat's hair. And the rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and the spices and the oil for the light and the anointing oil for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a freewill offering to the Lord and all the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hand of Moses commanded to be done. Now notice here, here, this is the offering actually being given. Moses stood up in verses 4 through 9 and says, this is what's needed for the tabernacle, the offering. Then notice here in verse 20 that he departed. He departed in the congregation. They gave again, as it says, that their hearts were stirred here, first of all, and their spirits were willing. Again, given willingly, freely, as their hearts were stirred. It wasn't a high-pressure thing. It wasn't Moses going, okay, let's have a contest of all the 12 tribes, see who can raise the most money and give the most gold or whatever this. It wasn't that. He said, here's what is needed, and then he departed, and the people, as their hearts were stirred, and as they were, had a willing spirit, and notice both men and women here that gave, as their hearts were stirred in doing that. One of the things that has been really important for me is that when people come here to Calvary Chapel, that they, they see that this is a place where you can truly give freely and willingly, not high pressure. And, and so that's why we do uh, what we do in having the offering boxes that you can give of your own free will, and that, that you can give without there being a lot of pressure. And we don't talk about giving. We don't talk about offerings a lot. There's nothing wrong with the church taking an offering. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But the thing is, I want you guys, whoever does give, and how much that they do that freely and willingly, and to see that as we just trust in the Lord, and as, as the Lord stirs your heart, to see that he's going to meet our needs. And he has. And I think it's been a wonderful testimony over the years of God meeting our needs uh, in this ministry. So we are a church that is a debt-free church. We have a building that's paid for. We have everything up here that's paid for. And, and we're able to meet the needs of, of you know, uh, allowing me to be here full-time. And, and it, it, it meets my needs. And, and so it's a wonderful thing to do, to see the Lord do that week after week and month after month and year after year without high pressure because you guys are given freely and willingly because you believe in the work of the Lord. Notice here that it says over and over again, they brought the Lord's offering. They brought the Lord's offering. It's the Lord's offering, the work of the Lord. And so this is God's work that is being done. And notice here that, that as they would give, 
both, again, men and women that would give. Some would be able to give gold and silver. Some were able to give badger skins or whatever it may be. I pray that none of us would ever think, well, if I only had enough money or if I made this amount of money, I can give. We're all called to give. The scripture doesn't say if you have this income or this, you know, resources, then you can give. But God desires for all of us to participate in giving and investing in the kingdom of God. Because sometimes I hear people say, well, you know what, if I made more money, then I would give. And listen, I don't want to be insensitive to the economic downturn that we're seeing that is is affecting our country. and, And many people are feeling that. And I know that many people are feeling, how can I give? And, and you know, it's, it doesn't add up in things. That's between you and the Lord. You take to the Lord. But the Lord does say that we are to give and that, that he delights in a cheerful heart. And, and you give according to what the Lord puts on your heart and then trust him. It's the only area where he says, test me in this area. Now, you don't give into where what a lot is being taught today so you can try to get a mass amount back. Yes, the Lord will bless you in how he desires to bless you. But so much teaching in the church today, and I think a lot of people are turned off from giving because there are many ministries, many ministries in our nation, they're all over the TV, that they emphasize every single week giving and the seed faith and God wants you to be wealthy and and you know if this is an anointed time if you give a seed of 5,000 the magic number then you're going to you know receive this you know uh, abundant blessing of prosperity materially from the Lord and on and on and it's amazing how many of these anointed windows are you know every week it's an anointed window they say that's open for you to give and give now go to the phone right away and all this other stuff high pressure stuff and, and misrepresenting the scriptures and the giving and the seed faith and the prosperity uh, gospel that we've seen, which is not the gospel at all. And it's sad to see it. And I pray that we would understand that we're given to the Lord because you believe that, you know what, this is your work, Lord. And this is the kingdom of God. And Jesus said that put your treasures in heaven. And as we invest in the kingdom, that we're going to see the work of the kingdom going forward. And, and I believe that Calvary Chapel is a part of that. Or if you give to a ministry here in, in this town or wherever it might be, supporting missionaries. Because you're investing in the kingdom of God. And you have eternal perspective, not temporal perspective on things. And so here they were giving. And, and they were giving all that could give us a willing heart. In verse 30. We read, and Moses said to the children of Israel, See that the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, in the tribe of Judah. And has filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting jewels for setting and, and carving wood, and to work all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach him, and then Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, and has filled him with the skill to do all manner of work, and engraver, and designer, and the tapestry maker, and blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine linen, and of the weaver, those who do every work, and those who design artistic works. In verse, chapter 36, and uh, Bezalel, and Aholiab, and every gifted artisan, in whom the Lord had put wisdom and understanding, to know how to do all manner of the work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded here. And so we see here God gifted these um, two men to lead in the building of the tabernacle and what he had called them to do. God called them and then he gifted them and he anointed them is what we see. 
Now, a couple things here. This building of the tabernacle, there's a lot of integral design and details that were given as we have seen, and they built everything by hand, didn't they? And I think some of you guys that are really gifted in construction, you can look at this and appreciate, they didn't have, you know, a Home Depot to go down to and, and get the boards. And as we read about the boards, the boards were made of Achaia wood. That's, that's um, a, a hardwood that grew out there in the desert. It didn't rot or anything. And it's a hardwood, and they had to carve that board out of that tree by hand. They didn't have power tools. And the boards were, uh, if we say a cubit is 18 inches, were, were about 15 feet high, as we're going to read here in just a little bit. And they were two feet wide, and then they were overlaid with gold. Now, you think about that, guys. Isn't that a heavy board? It's pretty heavy, isn't it? and a lot of details and just making one board but all the design and everything and, and so these guys are gifted not just having talents now now some of us have talents but I want to remind you of something talent can never take the place of God's gifting his calling his gifting his anointing okay talent will never take the place of God's call on your life and his gifting and his anointing, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And there are sometimes people that will do ministry, they're very, you know, talented, they're very smart in being able to perhaps speak or teach. They're, they're very talented in, in leading worship, very talented in some other area, whatever it might be, but that cannot take the place of being called by God, being gifted by God to do those things. And, and then the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon your life as you begin to minister in what God has called you to do in all those areas, whether it's the gift of teaching, of helps, it's the gift of, of, of leading people in the worship of the Lord, whatever it might be. And so these guys are gifted with understanding and knowledge to do all manner of work for the service of the Lord. And so, again, verse 2 of chapter 36, Then Moses called Bezalel, and Aholiab, and every gifted artisan whose heart the Lord had put wisdom in, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought to the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. So again, the free will offering. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary, and the people were restrained from bringing. For the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed too much. Isn't that amazing? I've never heard a pastor ever stand up and say, enough, don't give any more. <laughs> and, um, and really it's sad to see what happens today. Um, I think it's sad when we see ministry leaders that uh, will take... Uh, advantage of the people. They will manipulate the scriptures where the people are given in such abundance and, and the people are buying into it and, and, and then what happens is, is not only do they you know, have you know, a lot of you know, huge uh, buildings and things like that, but they'll have their huge mans mansions and they'll brag about it, some of them, and, and, and how many homes they have and, and luxury cars and jets they drive around in and all of this, and I think it is sad. Moses here had the integrity to stand up and say, enough. 
You've given enough. He had integrity and character to say, too much has been given. We got enough to build a tabernacle. Now, I believe that as the Lord gives, and, and as I say to you that, you know, we're a church of God as men are needs and, and stuff. Um, you know, I, again, I don't want you to think that, well, okay, I don't need to give, you know, then. Because there's always needs. There's always things that we can do in, in getting the gospel and missions and things like that. But that's as the Lord provides. And where God guides us, he's going to provide for us in that. And you've heard me always say that. So, you know, it, it is something that you, again, get a chance to invest in the kingdom of God. And, and we have opportunity to pray about, Lord, how we would invest in, in advancing the kingdom of God and getting the gospel out to others. So here the building of the tabernacle, then all the gifted artisans among who work with the tabernacle made ten curtains woven of fine linen, of blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim. They made them. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits. And the width of each curtain, four cubits, and the curtains were of the same size. And he coupled five curtains to one another, and there were five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops of yarn, blue yarn on the edge of the curtains, and salvage on one set, likewise he did on the other outer edge, and the other curtain on the second set. In verse 12, 50 loops he made on one curtain, then 50 loops he made on the edge of the curtain, and the end of the second set, the loops held one curtain to another, and... He made 50 clasps of gold and coupled the curtains to one another with the clasp that it might be one tabernacle. So the building of, of the curtains here, that is the making of the curtains, again, there's different layers as we saw. The priest would come in in the first layer, they would see the artistically design of the cherubim and the light of the lampstand would reflect and would be very, very beautiful. And so we see in verse 14 the other coverings um, that we see, the, the goat's hair and then the lamb skin dyed red and badger skin. He made curtains of goat hair, verse 14, for the ten over the tabernacle and made eleven curtains. The length of each curtain was thirty cubits and the width of each curtain four cubits and eleven cu curtains were the same size. He coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. He made fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set and fifty loops he made on the edge of the curtain of the second set. He also made 50 bronze claps to couple the tent together that it might be one. And so we see here uh, the curtains of the goats here. Verse 19, he made a covering for the tent of uh, ram skin dyed red and covered arena of badger skin above that. So the, the skin dyed red reminds us of what? How we're covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, actually washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. And in verse 20, for the tabernacle, he made boards of a cave wood standing upright. The length of each board was 10 cubits, and the width of each board a cubit and a half. Each board had two tenons for binding to one another, thus he made it for all the boards of the tabernacle. He made boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side, 40 sockets of silver he made to go under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons. So remember that you see in the illustration here that these boards, 15 feet high, 2 feet wide, put together by these, these bars that would run uh, through in these loops, and then the middle bar that would run through, and then the base of it was these bases made of silver. And so it reminds us again how we have been, uh, as we come together, the body of Christ, 
together, the basis of which we do is, is the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ, that he died for us. And so the blood of Jesus Christ that we are washed with. And so verse uh, 24, the fourth sockets of silver he made to go under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenants. And then for the other side of the tabernacle, the north side he made 20 boards, and there are 40 sockets of silver, and two sockets under each of the boards. For the west side of the tabernacle, he made six boards, and he also made two boards for the two back corners of the tabernacle. And they were coupled at the bottom and coupled together at the top by one ring, thus he made both of them for the two corners. And so there were eight boards in their sockets, 15 sockets of silver, two sockets under each of the boards. And he made bars of a cable with five of the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five bars of the boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars the boards for the tabernacle on the far west side. And he made the middle bar to pass through the boards from one end to the other. He overlaid the boards with gold, made the rings of gold and the holders for the bars, and overlaid the bars with gold. And then verse 35, he made a veil of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen, and it worked with an artistic design cherubim. So this is the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And it was behind that veil that that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that's where the Holy of Holies was. And in verse 36, he made it four pillars of cedar wood, and overlaid them with gold, and their huts of gold, and he cast four sockets of silver for them. He also made a screen for the tabernacle door, a blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine woven linen, made by a weaver. And his five pillars with their hooks, and he overlaid their capitals and their rings with gold, but their five sockets were bronze. And so here we see this green door that was one entrance into the tabernacle that we discussed before. All these things that we saw here that is described to us in chapter 36 was already described to us in detail. We talked about it in Exodus chapter 26. And as we talked about, there's only one door into the presence of God. This is there's one door into the tabernacle through the veil, through the Ark of the Covenant, in Holy of Holies, in the tangible presence of God. There's only one presence that you and I come into, one door, and that is Jesus Christ. And that's why we declared that I am the door. And anybody else that comes in any other way, you know what? They're even a water. But I am the door, and I am the way to heaven. And I am the way into the presence of the Father. And so we're going to end there. And we'll finish up uh, Exodus next week. And so, Father, we thank you that we can, uh, Lord, just once again, as we look at these things, that we saw that they were obedient. And Lord, that if anything tonight, that we would have a desire to be obedient, to live after the pattern that you show us. And Lord, we thank you for the detail that you give to us and how we are to live our lives and pattern our lives. And Lord, we thank you that you meet with us, that you're meeting with us tonight. Even though we may be few, Lord, it pleases you as your people come together here. And Lord, that I pray that as we worship, that again, that you would just start hearts in any area that you want us to. If there's anything that we've gotten away from the pattern or what your word says, that Lord, that we would come and that we would bring it before you and, and Lord, we would confess it. It simply means being in agreement that Lord, this is